Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. Mr. Rogers once said, I believe that appreciation is a holy thing, that when we look for what's best in a person we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. But when it comes to loving our neighbors, where do we start? How do we push past our own nervousness? We explore these questions and more in our series, Bless. We're thankful you're here. Let's continue the upward journey. We're in a series called Bless, and we're learning to love our neighbors. And we couldn't think of a better place to have a series on neighbors than in the home of everybody's favorite neighbor and the best neighbor that's ever been. Would you agree, Mr. Rogers, best neighbor any of us ever had? I grew up watching him. Somebody uh, told me we were talking about doing this series, and didn't they do a great job with that set there? Uh, Matt and Chris and Zach, and uh, they came in here and they worked till 2.30, and they just about got it right. I pretty well, they got it right. I feel like I'm in Mr. Rogers' house right now. But, uh, Somebody said to me recently as we started this series, they said, you know, kids today, they don't know who Mr. Rogers is. And I said, oh, that explains a lot then, doesn't it? That explains a lot of the crazy world. We need to get back to knowing how to love our neighbors. And that's what this series is about. It's mainly for Christians. We're primarily talking to Christians, and we're talking about how you can take Jesus to your neighborhood. How you can love the people that live near you, work near you, and play near you. How you can take the love of Jesus Christ to them. It's a good thing for Jesus to be in your heart. It's a wonderful thing for Jesus to be in your home. But Jesus needs to get out into your neighborhood so that the world can be changed by him. Now, the Lord spoke to me this week, and I don't say that lightly, and you don't hear me say that a whole lot because I say it with a degree of fear and trembling because I never want to say God says something unless I really believe he said something. But God spoke to me in prayer this week, and, and it's a word not just for me. It's a word for all of us together, I believe. And God said this to me, and I want you to hear this upward. He said, I haven't called you to build a church. I've called you to transform a city. I haven't called you to build a church. I've called you to transform a city. And so that just blew my mind. And I began to say, God, this, this sounds like a new day. And the Lord ministered me that it is a new day. Moving forward, we're not going to be about building up our Christian fellowship. And we've really been moving in that direction for a long time. We're not going to be about seeing how many people we can pack into this building Although we've been doing that the past couple of weeks, trying to figure out where to look around you. This looks like pre-COVID right here, doesn't it? Absolutely does. Isn't that wonderful? Um, but it's not going to be about that, about building an organization. It's going to be about transforming our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really believe Jesus wants to transform communities in our day. Amen. I believe we're in for a great awakening in the United States of America that God is going to wake up the church and wake up the world. And I believe it's coming. I believe God's going to do some mighty and some powerful things in our world today. And I believe we're called to be a part of it. When we talk about loving our neighbors, I want you to, to realize this. The Bible mentions this specific phrase, love thy neighbor 
11 times. It's all over the Bible. Jesus was once asked this. Um, they, a group of people came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, can you give us kind of the Cliff's Notes of the Old Testament? Anybody remember Cliff Notes? Anybody ever use Cliff Notes? You know what you could do? You could have this long book and you could go to the bookstore and buy this. It was a yellow thing. It's called Smart Notes now. The kids told me today it's Smart Notes. Uh, but in my day, it was Cliff Notes. There was these yellow books, and you could go, and it was like this thick when the book was like this thick. And if you really did it well, you could pass the quizzes and the tests just from the Cliff Notes. <laughs> How many would confess today that you have passed a few quizzes and tests with the Cliff Notes? All right. Um, they essentially asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? If you had to just give one commandment to sum up the whole Old Testament, could you just give us one commandment? And I like that. They're very bottom line. Give us the bottom line. And Jesus said, I'm not going to give you one. I'm going to give you two. Even Jesus didn't get it to one. He said there are two commandments. And here they are, two commandments. And, and this is remarkable. Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. The law, he's referring to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets. Much of the rest of the Old Testament is prophetic literature. Much of the Jewish scripture was law and prophets. Then you had some wisdom and some poetry. Jesus said this, all of the law and the prophets, essentially all of the Old Testament hangs on just two commandments. Are you ready to hear this? If you're reading through the Old Testament right now, you are going to thank me for boiling it down to two or thank Jesus for boiling it down to two. But what I want you to hear is how important they are. Here they are. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. It was the second of the two greatest commandments that Jesus spoke upon which hung all of the Old Testament. That's pretty powerful. Pastor Dave Ferguson wrote a book called Bless and in a couple of weeks, we're going to have that book available for you here. We wanted everybody at Upward to get a copy of that book and to be able to read it. So we're going to have it at a really big reduced price for you to get a copy in just a couple of weeks. Written by Dave Ferguson, a pastor of a huge church of thousands of people. And he said this in the book. And I thought, this is so powerful and so sad at the same time. He said, I found myself pastoring a church of thousands of people and yet I had very little spiritual influence in my own neighborhood. Something's wrong with that picture, I think. That we can be influencing thousands and bringing people to Jesus, yet we're having very little spiritual influence on the people that live closest to us. Now you may say, as the religious people of the day, they asked Jesus this question. They said, well tell us, who is my neighbor? They wanted it narrowed down. They wanted a rule to follow. When you're used to living under the law, that's what you want. Jesus, give us another rule. Give us another commandment. Narrow it down. Who is my neighbor? For God forbid I'd love anybody that falls outside of the rules. Who is my neighbor? Let me tell you who your neighbor is not. And I want to make this clear from the very beginning of this series. Your neighbor is not a project. If you treat people like a project, you will have no influence over their lives because they know that. You remember the Old West? Uh, you ever, anybody like Western movies? You watch the old Western movies and sometimes the gunfighters, when they won a gunfight, they'd put a notch on the pistol. And if a gunfighter had several notches on their pistol, you know they had won a lot of gunfights. Your neighbor is not a notch on your spiritual pistol. 
for you to feel good about yourself about how many people you've won to Christ. Your neighbor is a living, breathing human being that Jesus Christ died for. There's a person there. They're not an accomplishment. Let me tell you what your neighbor is. Your neighbor is a gift from God to you. And you are a gift from God to them. Jesus in John 17, he prayed what we consider his high priestly prayer. And he was praying for his disciples. And he called them this. He said, Father, he kept referring to them as those you have given me. You see, what, how Jesus viewed the disciples was not as a task or a responsibility or as an accomplishment. He viewed the people that God put closest to him in his life as a gift from God. Now, I ask you this question. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that's what we do. We give our lives to Jesus. He is now the Lord over our decisions. Before we make big decisions and small decisions, we ask God to guide and direct those decisions. So let me ask you, one of the biggest decisions you'll ever make is buying a house and where you should live. And you ought to pray about that. And you you ought to ask God, put me in the right neighborhood, put me in the right place. Do you believe if Jesus is the Lord over your life, the creator of everything that is, and the guide, and the Holy Spirit lived, do you believe Jesus has put you where you are, and he has you living in the place that he wants you to live? How many believe it's true? Jesus has me right now living right where I'm supposed to. Do you think that maybe he brought those neighbors to live next to you as well? Do you think that he's given them to you so that you can influence them for him and to win them over into the kingdom of God, your neighbors are a tremendous gift from God. Now some of you are struggling with that right now because your neighbor doesn't rake their leaves. And you've got a neighbor that lives on top of the hill and you live down at the bottom and come fall, your neighbor recognizes that they don't need to rake, they just need a good wind to come up because it will take all their leaves down into your yard and every year You're raking leaves and bemoaning the injustice of the whole thing. That you're raking your leaves and theirs. Maybe you have a neighbor that has a dog that terrorizes the neighborhood. Maybe you have a neighbor whose dog starts barking every night about 2.30. Home I used to live in, there was somebody way across the street, and I think they raised a pack of coyotes. It was about 2.30 every morning, you'd hear dogs howling. Maybe you have a neighbor that's tough to live with. I want you to reframe how you think about your neighborhood, and I want you to start seeing your neighbors as a gift from God, that God has placed them next to you and given you a wonderful gift. And the gift is this. You have an opportunity to influence them toward Jesus Christ, and there could be no greater gift. Your neighbor's not a burden. Your neighbor's not a project. Your neighbor is a gift. The second thing your neighbor is, is your neighbor is a responsibility. I believe this with all of my heart, that God has put us in this world with a responsibility to win other people to Jesus Christ, to share our faith. This world's going to be changed by Christians getting out and sharing who Jesus Christ is. Can anybody say amen to that? I want to tell you, my hope is in Jesus This world is not going to be changed by a revolution. This world is not going to be changed by a politician. Can I get an amen? 
This world's going to be changed by Jesus Christ and His church manifesting His presence, not just in here, but out in our neighborhoods. That's what's going to change this world. And I believe it's coming. And I believe He's calling you and I to be a part of it. And I've never been more excited to serve Jesus than I am today because there's an opportunity in front of the people of God like we've never seen before. I'm glad you're so excited about it. There's an opportunity like we've never seen before to win people to Jesus. That's who your neighbor is. For our definition, your neighbor is those who, in the Greek, the word for neighbor simply means those who are nearby. They're the people who are nearby where you live, where you work, and where you play. Are there people that live near you that don't know Jesus Christ, that don't share your faith? Are there people you work with that don't know Jesus Christ? You'll be happy to know that most of the people that I work with know Jesus Christ. (laughs) You'll be happy to know that most of our pastors have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've wondered about a couple, right? You've probably wondered about me a few times, but uh, we know Jesus. Uh, What are the places you work? Where are the places you play? Where, where are the places maybe your child plays baseball with somebody and you get to sit next to that person at a baseball game several times a year? Could it be that God's up to something more than just baseball, as wonderful as it is and as great as that is to spend time with your children? Could it be that God's brought you in proximity with that person to influence them in a good way and to bless them in Jesus' name? Your neighbors are a gift and a responsibility. Now, I get the question all the time, why is it so hard to share my faith? One of our values at Upward Christian Fellowship is contagious faith. We believe in authentic relationships, radical generosity, unconditional service, personal growth, and that last one is contagious faith. Now, you know what contagious means, right? If you've lived through 2020 and 2021, you've probably heard the word contagious once or twice, right? We know what contagious is. We're talking about contagious in a good way. We want your faith to spread. We want your faith to touch those people that you've come around. We want you to have influence. But why is it so difficult to share our faith? I don't know about you, but whenever I hear anybody preach or talk about winning souls, I have this vague sense in my heart of guilt that I'm not doing well enough in this area. Is that just me, or can I see some hands? That that may be you too. You think, wow, I, I really feel like I ought to be doing a bet. Can I see your hands again? I didn't see that. Okay, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you. I feel better about life right now because you're with me in this. That I just feel this vague sense, I ought to be winning more people to Jesus. Because I see these people who are like these superheroes. I mean, they walk down the street, downtown Hendersonville, and they've told 10 people about Jesus before they got to the donut shop. You know what I mean? And it seems like they're winning people to Jesus everywhere. And they have this incredible boldness. They can just walk up to a person and just, boom, start sharing their faith. I find that difficult myself. Here's what I've had to learn. Thank God for people that have that gift and have that boldness and have that power. But all of us are not going to be like that. But we can still share our faith in very fruitful, and very productive ways. See, it gets hard when we think we have to have that specific gift and anything else is not sharing your faith. 
Have you ever tried to witness to somebody for Jesus and tried to be that bold person and it didn't work at all? There's some people that are ready to be harvested. They're like a, an apple that's ready to be picked. You know, They're there. They're just ready to get saved. And, and yeah, that's great. There are other people that need some time. See, often we think we're supposed to go in and just harvest. We're just supposed to go in guns blazing with the gospel and everybody's supposed to fall down and just come to Jesus Christ right there on the street. But understand this. A, a farmer understands that before the seed is planted, the ground must be prepared. And one of our hesitations to sharing our faith is that many times we're throwing seed onto ground that hasn't been prepared and it gets tossed back in our face and we have really bad experiences and we say, I'll never do that again. In this series, we're going to help you with that. In this series, we're going to talk about the blessed strategy that prepares people's hearts and prepares the ground so that you are invited to share your faith, so that they bring you into their lives in such a way that you can now speak into their lives. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want people that I don't know telling me how to live. Please understand me. I'm not saying efforts to go out and win souls on the street are bad. Those are good things. But for me... I need to know who you are. I need to know your heart. I need to know that you care about me. I need you to invest something in my life before you tell me about making major life's decisions. And if a stranger comes up to me and tells me that I need to change my life today in the next five minutes, and am I ready to make a decision now? My first question is, who are you? Now, that's just me. But I suspect there are a lot of people out in the world today who need somebody to demonstrate the faith of Jesus Christ before calling people to it. To demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ before asking for a life change. That's what this blessed strategy is. It's about sowing uh, or preparing the ground before we sow the seed. Now the book is going to be here in a couple weeks. It outlines a strategy B-L-E-S-S. Bless is an acronym. And what's so powerful about it is these practices are practices that Jesus lived out on a regular basis. I love it. We've said 2020 is the year of Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. We're learning about Jesus. We're looking at the habits of Jesus. And when I read this book, Blessed, I said, that's how Jesus lived. And I can't wait to share this with Upward. Bless, B-L-E-S-S. The B is begin with prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Before you do anything else, pray for people. The second one is listen. Do you get it? Listening comes before talking. I've learned this. People are much more likely to listen when they have been heard. So the second step is listen to them. The third one, and you're going to love it, the E stands for eat. Can anybody say hallelujah? I am so glad that is right in the middle of this series that we can change the world by eating. How many could say, I may not be gifted at evangelism, but pastor, sign me up for that third one. That is my gift and I want to be a part of that. I can change the world by eating. Do you know Jesus did that? One of the accusations against Jesus, they said, he's a glutton and a drunk. Wait a minute, they said that about my... They absolutely did. Because he went to parties with people of low reputation. 
And he ate dinner with people that he wasn't supposed to eat. One of the accusations they made against, and I'm already preaching the third one now because I like to talk about food. One of the accusations, they said, this man eats with sinners. Oh, I'm so thankful Jesus eats with sinners. I'm glad he's willing to sit down at a table with someone whose life is messed up because if he weren't, none of us would be here today in faith and in joy because Jesus eats the, third, the fourth one, the S, is serve. We're going to learn how when we begin with prayer, listen to people, fellowship with them over some food, and serve them, that we gain trust and we gain influence in their life. And the last S is story. When we've broken up that hard ground of their heart, now we can share our testimony, our story, and ultimately share the story of Jesus Christ. The thing I love about this blessed strategy is that it works. They had two teams that were in Thailand, and they did a study. Pastor Dave writes about it in the book. They did a study of these two teams. They sent them in the same city, same size teams, but they went out with two different uh, motivations or two different goals One team, their desire was to convert as many people as possible. And their desire was just to pray with as many people as possible to receive Jesus Christ. So their whole approach was talking to people, reasoning with people on the street, and inviting them to receive Jesus. That was their goal. Big number of converts. The other group made it as their goal to go out and bless the city for Jesus Christ. And they were just going to go out with the love of God in Jesus' name and just bless everybody they met and, and point that blessing as coming from Jesus. What they found out, they went out for a few months and did it. When they came back and did the study, the, the converters had very little impact on the community. They didn't raise anybody up at all. They didn't change the community. The blessers had actually impacted lives and people's lives were better because they went out. Here's the second stat. The converters had a grand total of one convert. And the blessers had 48. See, when your goal is to convert, when your goal is to just mark a notch on the gun, you're not really changing a lot of lives. But when you go out with a heart to bless people and love people to Jesus, He will open the door and many people will come to Him. 48 to 1. That's why I'm so excited. One of the reasons I'm so excited about the bless strategy. Now, today, let's look at the first step. Here we are. Begin with prayer. Jesus did this very thing. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, it says, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. All night of prayer. He must have had something big going on. You ever prayed all night? I've done that a couple times in my life. And I'm telling you, you wake up or I slept the whole following day, all night of prayer. It's when you get desperate, you'll just stay up and pray till something happens. Jesus spent all night praying. And it must lead us to believe that the next day something big was going to happen. And it was. He prayed all night. And it said, at daybreak, he called together all his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. He chose his 12 closest companions. He chose the people he was going to influence more than any other people on earth face to face. And he spent the whole night before praying. What did Jesus do before he blessed? He prayed. And I believe he was praying for wisdom to choose the right ones. And I believe he was praying for them. 
Ed Silvoso wrote a wonderful book called Prayer Evangelism. And in his book, he said, prayer evangelism is talking to God about your neighbors before talking to your neighbors about God. That you talk to God about them before you talk to them about God. That's a powerful definition. Understand this, when you pray, things happen. When you pray, things happen. I believe with all of my heart, I've heard it all my life, that prayer changes things. Does anybody in this house tonight believe that prayer truly changes things? When we pray, God moves. When we pray, things happen in the supernatural that later we, are, we see in the natural. When we pray, prayer changes things. Sometimes we don't give prayer the respect it deserves. You ever had anybody uh, come back from the doctor and they got bad news and they say something like this and that's a terrible thing? You ever heard anybody say, well, all we can do is pray? You know what that means? That's bad. It's come down to that. All we got left is prayer. This is the end of the line. No, no, no. We get to pray. Come on upward. We can pray. I love people in healthcare. I'm going to tell you, our healthcare professionals are heroes in our day. Can we give them a big hand? Man, they are heroes. They're working hard. We've got so many of them, and we love them. Thank God for them. And I truly believe this. God places people in healthcare because He wants to use them for healing. I believe doctors and nurses and all the staff. We ought to pray for God to just manifest a supernatural gift of healing in their lives. We still believe God supernaturally heals sick bodies. Anybody upward still believe that today? We serve a great physician that's still doing great things and healing sick bodies. But I'll tell you, before you go to the doctor, you ought to pray. You shouldn't wait for prayer to be the last resort when every other human uh, thing has been, every other human solution has been abandoned to say, okay, we're down to this, we can just pray. No, pray first. Because prayer changes things. The first thing that happens is prayer changes our hearts toward our neighbors. Prayer will bring us into a position of loving them so that we can bless them. Anybody have neighbors that are a pain? Anybody? Got to be careful. This whole front row is my neighbors right here. They live in my neighborhood. Thank you so much. I love him getting baptized today because I got to, ba- got to see one of my neighbors get baptized today. How fitting is that? I love you, man. Amen. Pray for them. Here's what I've learned. It's hard for me to bless people that I don't like. Maybe what's got to happen in your heart first is you've got to pray for a while for God to get your heart right for your neighbors. I found this. If I pray for a person, I start loving them. God just messed with my prayer. Do you have a prayer list? How many have a prayer list? How many have things written down that you pray about? Can I see your hands? No condemnation, but you just have things written down that you pray about. In a few weeks, I'd like to be able to ask that question again and many more hands go up because I think there's something really powerful. No condemnation, but I think there's something really powerful about writing down a list of things we want to pray about and people's names. And I have a prayer list. I've had it for probably uh, seven years now or something like that, that a list of people that I pray for. Some time ago, I think it was last year, we preached on loving our enemies and God dealt with my heart to make an enemy section on my prayer list. So I put it way down at the bottom 
I'm, I'm just telling you how this came, how God just brought this around. It was down at the bottom. There was a heading that said enemies, and I had two names on it. And I prayed for them every day. And then several months ago, the Holy Spirit was, see, God's working on my heart. The Holy Spirit said, no, move them to the top. What? So I prayed for them for, before anybody else. And then, about a week ago, as I was praying for my enemies, the Lord said, just sort of look at that prayer list. Look at the title of that section, Enemies. Think about that. I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, move them to the friends list. That's taken me a year and a half. But now they're in the friends column. And I pray for them in the same time that I pray for some of my dearest friends. I needed that change of heart. And it's only prayer that changed my heart towards these people. And that's got to happen. Can I tell you this, church? We can't change this culture if we are at war with the culture. You can't win people that you're warring against. Now, do I believe we stand up for what we believe in as Christians? You better believe it. I intend to stand for Jesus Christ and everything He believes, and I'm going to stand for Him and love Him no matter what happens, no matter what government decides, no matter where the culture goes. There are some things that are true. There are some things that are false, and I'm going to stand up for the way, the truth, and the life. You're going to do that too? We're going to stand up. We're not afraid, but we're not going to go to war against people. The Bible says a couple things. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. They're not carnal. And the Bible says that our enemy is never people. We wrestle not, the Bible says, against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against Satan and we wrestle against demonic powers. I'm not going to go to war against a culture. I'm going to love people no matter what they decide, no matter how they live their lives, no matter what lifestyle they follow, no matter what political party they're affiliated with. I'm not going to denigrate them. I'm not going to knock them. I'm not going to speak evil over them. I'm going to love them because I'm called to reach them. Amen. And I'm going to do that. When we pray, God changes our hearts toward our neighbors. You see, if you're, if you're watching the news still, My only question is, is why? <laughs> hey, well, Brother Andy, I, I want to stay informed. Well, good luck. <laughs> if you have a diet of that and it's just fueling anger in your heart, then turn it off. Because depending on which one you watch depends on the level of how informed or misinformed you are from either side. Who knows anymore? Honestly, I don't know what to read. I don't know who to follow. I'm not quite sure. But there are some things I do know. I know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know we are His church. Amen. We're set aside as a priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation. And we're called to show forth the praises of him who's called us from darkness into glorious light. I know the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to feed on that. Instead of reading the latest news, read a great book. Read some history. Read some literature. 
You know what I found out? As I read history, I find out they had a lot of the same problems that we have today. And you can actually read about how they worked through those problems. Read something good. Don't read the latest news that is just out for advertising dollars and is just out to stir people up in anger against each other. We got a deal? If something's just stirring anger and hatred in my heart towards anybody, I'm going to stay with it. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes our hearts towards our neighbors. And here's what I really want to get to today. Prayer changes the spiritual climate in our neighborhood. Prayer changes the spiritual climate. I love that. Who controls the thermostat at your house? The one with the power. Who in your house has the power of the thermostat? Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night freezing or burning up? It's because of that person who controls it. First service, I said it was my wife, and she stopped me at service and said, that is not true, and don't you say that again. So I'm not saying it. Sometimes I wake up and the ceiling fan is on. Can I just take a poll here really quick? I'm over time. I'm over time. But I need to know, how many of you do not want to sleep with a fan blowing on your face? Can I see your hands? We are in the minority. We are definitely in the minority. But I'm like, turn that fan off. I'm hot. Turn the fan off. And it's still going. Here's the deal. Whoever has the power controls the thermostat. That's true for your neighborhood too. For too long, the church has given Satan the control of the thermostat in our world. And I'm just about tired of Satan being able to turn the thermostat where he wants it in our culture and in our community. And I don't know about you, but I'm just ready for the church to take back the thermostat in prayer. Do you know when we pray, we crank the spiritual thermostat in our community and we turn it up? And we raise the level of spiritual impact for Jesus Christ when we pray. And if you will begin to pray in your neighborhood, you will begin to affect the spiritual climate of your neighbors. They won't even know what's happening sometimes. Things will get solved in their lives because you prayed. Their marriage will be better because you... I'm talking about even before they come to Jesus Christ, God will begin to, to deal with demons... Uh, if I've freaked you out so far, we might as well go for the whole thing. I believe there are demonic forces that impact neighborhoods and tear neighborhoods up and pit people against each other. Where do I think racism comes from? Straight from the devil and his demons. That's where it comes from. Where does hatred come from? Straight from the devil. That's where it comes from. And when we pray, we begin to take authority in spiritual places and change spiritual climates. Pray, pray, pray then prayer changes our role in our neighbor's lives. You see, when we pray, we are now involved in what God is already doing in their lives. Amen. Amen. First of all, two things, and I've got to quit. First of all, we pray privately. 
That means make a prayer list up and put your neighbor's names on them. We have cards on every chair. Can you grab that card right now? Would you just get that card? If you were here earlier, you've already got one. That, prayer's for, that card is for you. And there are eight squares all around that card. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to put, you don't have to do it right now, but you may want to take it home and pray about it. But I want you to put eight names in that square. Eight names of people who live near you, work with you, or play near you. Those people that are in your circle of influence, I want you to put that down. Guess what? You've got a prayer list now. Boom, we made it happen right here today. You have got a prayer list. Write those names on there and privately pray for them. But we not only pray privately, we pray publicly. It's time that prayer got out of the prayer closet and got out into the street. It's time that your prayer life that's private become public. What does that mean? Pray for people. People need prayer. There are people out there who've never had anybody to pray for them. Now, you don't have to be an expert prayer. You ever heard those experts that just, just have a Ph.D. in prayer? I mean, they're pulling out. When they open their prayer, they, they, they speak all the Old Testament names of God in a row. El Shaddai. I mean, they're just, all of it's out there. And they're just praying. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I can't pray. My prayers sometimes are, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. You don't have to pray in this great flowery language. And you don't even have to pray in an unbroken, perfect. What comes out of your heart's what counts. Here's what I want to tell you. There are people everywhere who've never had anybody to pray for them. I know it because I've prayed for people before and they'll tell me, this is the first time anyone has ever prayed for me. Here's what I found as well. I would say 95% of the people that I ask them, can I pray for you? 95% of them say yes. Atheists will let you pray for them. God told me one time, I asked him if I could pray for him. He said, well, sure, I don't believe any of this, but take your best shot. I didn't get offended by that. I said, oh, yeah, I get to pray for this guy. They'll say yes. And you just pray a simple prayer. And guess what? That's when Jesus shows up. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I just want you to know, I'm not interested in having the gifts of the Holy Spirit just all in here so we can say, look at us. Look at what God's doing at Upward. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in some show about anything here. I, I want all that. Yeah, I want, I want God to do things here. But I think where God wants to move in this awakening that's coming is in neighborhoods, is in workplaces, is in schools, is in hospitals. I think God wants to manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit as you pray for your neighbor. When they're sick, guess what? Pray for God to heal them. Do you still believe God does miracles? you still believe God heals sick bodies? Oh, He does. Now, now you say, well, preacher, I'm not sure if I can believe for that. I'm not sure if I believe this. Well, here's what you do. You say, well, you're sick. My pastor says that God heals the sick, so I'm just going to give it a shot. First service really laughed at that. You guys are really serious today. 
let our faith work through you. Can God heal somebody through me? Absolutely. Take them by the hand. When you, oh, I'm over time. Second service, you're going to meet them coming in. Be patient with the traffic. Walk around your neighborhood or your workplace. Jesus said, when you encounter a home that receives you, speak peace over that home. If you had a home, if you got a home in your neighborhood that the police are showing up at a lot, and you're tired of it, walk by it every day and say, may the peace of God rule in that home. Something will happen spiritually. Pray for people in your everyday lives. When you're in a restaurant and you're about to ask the blessing, and that's a wonderful thing to do, do that. Don't do it out of a sense of legalism, but do it out of a sense of joy. Pray over your food. And the server, it seems like so many times they'll interrupt your prayer. You know how that awkward moment when you're starting to pray and they come up? That is a clear sign from God that they were to be included in the prayer meeting. Oh, preacher, I don't want to make a scene. I don't mean you have to stop and have church. Most of our problem, though, is not in making a scene. Most of our problem is not making enough of a scene. I'm really afraid where some of y'all are going to take that. But uh, Invite them in and say, as we're praying over the food, can we pray for you? I can tell you how many times I've taken the hand of a server and seen tears come rolling down their cheek because they said, Nobody's ever prayed for me. Amen. Pray privately. Pray publicly. I'm going to close with this quote. Madeline Lingle said this. Powerful quote. She said, We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe or by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Let's make Jesus lovely. And the way to do that is just let him shine through. Amen. Amen. What a joy and what a privilege. Your homework is take that card. Make your prayer list. Eight names. Bring it back next week so we can pray together over those cards. Are you ready? You ready to see change in your neighborhoods? Ready to see change through your life? It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait for y'all to come back and tell me the people that you've blessed and the stories that come out of that. Let's pray today. Would you just stand to your feet right now? Jesus, thank you for the time we have together this morning. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you that we can speak to Christians this morning and be challenged together to bless our neighborhoods. Thank you that as we begin in prayer, you're going to begin to tear down strongholds in neighborhoods. You're going to begin to tear down what the enemy has built up. And light's going to come into neighborhoods. The light and the life of Jesus. Thank you for that today. I bless your people today with the boldness to pray and the boldness to follow you. Now with that blessing, go out of this place. You are commissioned to take the gospel, to take Jesus into your world. Amen, amen, amen. Love y'all so much. Thanks for being here today. Come on back next week with that card. We're going to pray over them and we're going to learn to listen. Love you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash upwardchristianfellowship. 
We invite you to join us next week as we continue the upward journey.